All right, go ahead and turn to First Peter. First Peter. It's been a while, but that is the book that we're in. And we're going to continue trekking through here. But listen, one of the most apparent, easily seen truths of your existence, of your life, is that you are not alone. You are born into a community. You are born with other people around you. So you are a relational being. You're born into a network of relationships. There are other people that exist in the world. Scripture also teaches that one of the most apparent truths or obvious truths is that God exists. So you exist in a creator's universe. You exist in a universe with other people and with other human beings, but also a divine being. And what this means, this means that your existence, your life, is wrapped up in your relationship to other people and your relationship to God. It's one of the most important things that you can know, that your life is not simply about you and your isolated feelings, thoughts, or experiences. Your existence and your life is wrapped up in your relationships with other people and your relationship to God. So there's another way to say this that might resonate with us. We mean that our story is situated within a larger story. Our story, your story, is situated in a larger story. Your personal life, your personal story, is not the main story of the universe, right? We know that we're not the center of the universe. This is very easily understood. So there's a larger story. If you want to understand who you are, if you want to understand what your life is all about, then you need to step outside of yourself and find the larger storyline that concerns all, all human beings and your creator. This is a cosmic storyline. There is a cosmic story, a universal story that concerns every single human being and our creator. So that's a story that God is writing so we are going to be reminded in our text tonight that that's the story we are a part of. We are part of a cosmic story, a universal story, the story of God's gospel. And, in, and God has been writing that story long before us. And this is a great reminder for us. So we've not been in 1 Peter for a while, so I just kind of want to remind us where we're at in this passage, I forgot to change the reference there. It's actually 1 Peter 10 through 12, not uh, 6 through 9, sorry. <clears throat> I don't know. You already wrote it down. It's okay. That's my bad. I didn't change the PowerPoint. Um, but we're actually in verses 10 through 12. Now, verses 3 through 12 are, is one large section, one big section in chapter 1. It's actually one long sentence. As you look in your text there, verses 3 through 12, that big section is one long sentence. And what it's basically teaching us, and the basic point of it is, is Peter saying, praise God for his salvation. That's the main teaching of this section, verses 3 through 12. Now, he makes three different points to say why we should praise God. 
And we've gone over each of these. The first one is that we have a new beginning in Jesus. That was verses 3 through 5. The second one, we talked about how we can have joy in suffering, and that's a reason to praise God. And our third one that we're going to go over tonight is what we call our privilege of revelation. In other words, we're looking at our placement in the story of God. As believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we have a privilege of revelation. We have a certain place in God's story of privilege. So we're going to look at kind of what that means. All right. So before I do that, let me, let me pray for us just one more time and uh, ask, along, along, pray along with me that God would, uh, God would limit your distractions. There'd be clarity. There'd be just his spirit working on your heart. Okay. So, Father, we ask you to move in these next few moments, these next few minutes, not simply so that we can have a good experience, not so that we can simply have something to uh, hang our hat on for the rest of the week, but, God, we want you to move and work so that we can be a part of your story, the story that is seeking for your creation to be made new, all things to be made new. And Lord, we know that you begin that in us. So God, I pray that this, this time would be used to restore us, to heal us, to renew us, to refresh, to be encouraged by your word in our time together. So bless that for those purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, sweet. Well, so let's, uh, let's look at the text here, verses 10 through 12, chapter 1. Okay? Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. All right, so just hang on, keep paying attention here. It was revealed to these prophets that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Look, this is a somewhat of a difficult passage. There's some weird stuff going on here, trying to understand it. But we're going to kind of break it down. We're going to give some two important teachings we see in this text, and then we're going to give three applications. Okay, we'll kind of work our way through it. The first teaching that we see in this text, in this passage, is the prophets testified of the salvation Christians have now received through Jesus. At the beginning of the passage, it says, concerning this salvation. That salvation that's being referenced there is talking about your salvation and my salvation, Christians' salvation. So the salvation that you enjoy in the gospel through Jesus is what prophets searched and inquired about. And it was revealed to them that that salvation would come through Jesus at a later time, through the Messiah. So the salvation that's being spoken of here is your salvation. And what's being said is that the prophets, these Old Testament writers, they prophesied about this salvation, your salvation, they looked forward to. So the salvation that you experience now which will be something you've, you fully experience in the future, was also prophesied in the past. 
So that's, that's kind of a key work that Peter's doing here. He looked forward to the future to say there's one day all things are going to be brought into the lordship of Jesus. He's saying you can rejoice in the present knowing that, but also you can look back to the past and see the salvation prophesied to you. So it's kind of this future, present, and past emphasis that he's doing. But a lot of times, if you think about it, Christians talk a lot about the past. We talk a lot about history. Sometimes if you come in Sunday school, we'll talk about something like this morning. We talked about a guy named Samson who uh, really hated foxes, I guess. He lit some foxes' tails on fire. And uh, he didn't like donkeys either. Killed a lot of dudes with donkey jawbone and whatnot. But we talk about these past events a lot, right? We talk about the past a lot. And history, history, when I was in high school, that was like one of my favorite subjects. Anyone in here like history, that's your favorite subject? Yeah, that was me. I liked history. For some reason, it seemed that the history teachers were always like the cooler teachers. I don't know why that is. No? My history teacher was cool. Um, But I always enjoyed history class. And as Christians, okay, let's bring it back in here. I'm sorry. I set that in motion. I hate history. Why do you like history? There's arguments (laughs) happening at the table. But we talk a lot about history and remembering the past. And it's because the story that we have been brought into as Christians is a story that God's been fleshing out for centuries, for millennia, really. Um, I remember visiting Europe for the first time, and I've got a picture here. Um, this is something called the throne, Constantine's throne room. You guys know who Constantine was? He kind of like institutionalized Christianity. Uh, didn't go too well, um, but... This was in a city called Trier, Germany, one of the oldest cities in Germany. So Constantine, he lived and operated like early 4th century. So we're talking like 300s AD. He built this thing. And we were just walking around, and I was in awe of like, wow, this has been here for almost 2,000 years, like you know, a very long time. In America, we don't get that a lot. Like it's, something's old when it's like 100 years old, you know? But in Europe... We have like these huge old ancient sites. Now, this is another thing in Germany, or or in Trier, Germany. This was the cathedral at Trier. What I found so interesting was they had all the bishops, the leaders of this church, dated back to like 250 AD. Can you imagine if we could trace like our pastors here at Lake Norman Baptist Church back to like 200 AD? No, (laughs) no. No, <laughs> that would be insane. Um, but but it's, it's something of a reminder to us. And it was a reminder to me, like, wow, God has been at work. God has been at work for centuries before we ever existed. And this is just AD, like post-Christ. What we're talking about here is the Old Testament, like, even further back into the story of Israel. So this is just one of the key things that you need to recognize here. God's story is bigger than you. And it's actually been working itself out long before you ever existed. And that's why it's so important to see here, your salvation is tied up in something that's already been moving and already been progressing forward. So I say all this to say that while we have a new beginning in Jesus... 
while we have a new future, a new reality, a new family, a new family, a new community, we are not part of a new story. There's a lot of newness to the Christian life. The story in which we're in is not a new one. The story of dead things coming to life is not a new story. God's been doing it for a very, very long time. So in fact, this is a story that's been stretching back to the Old Testament. And that's where we kind of get um, the reasoning why we look to the Old Testament is because of this. This is why the Bible that we see as normative and highly important to our life, right? If you hold up a Bible, I don't have mine up here, unfortunately. But most of it is the Old Testament, right? Most of it is telling a story before Jesus even arrived on earth, And that's just one picture of the fact that the story of God has been at work since the beginning of time, right? The first page of scripture is what? What's the time frame? In the beginning. This is a cosmic story. This is a universal story. Anyway, so that, that is one practical thing. You can read about your salvation by studying the Old Testament. Do not disregard the Old Testament. And here's another important teaching from this passage. Number two. The Old Testament writers were inspired by Christ to point to Christ. So the passage is somewhat difficult in that it, it, des- it describes kind of the mechanical workings of the Spirit of God with the prophets and how they wrote. At first, Peter says that the Old Testament prophets searched and inquired. They were diligently trying to understand when and how the promised Messiah, this promised king, would come and bring salvation. They're searching for this, for, for understanding how and when this would happen. And Peter says, as they're searching, it was revealed to them by the Spirit of Christ that the Messiah would come later. And also, it was revealed to them that their ministry, their writing, would serve future generations, the recipients of that salvation. So, in other words, the Spirit of Christ revealed to them that the Messiah would come in the future, so they devoted themselves to serving those people who would receive that salvation, that's you and me, the church, followers of Jesus, by pointing forward to Jesus. So this is important for a couple of reasons. First, this gives these writers authority. It gives them authority. That is somewhat of a bad word in our culture, but this basically means that what they're saying matters. And you have to accept it or deny it. You can't just leave it there. Authoritative things warrant and require you to respond. If a cop pulls you over, you just can't, you know, chill there. That's a bad idea. There's a lot of YouTube videos showing why that's a bad idea. Right? Authority means you have to respond to it. The the scriptures, being that they were inspired by the very Spirit of Christ... By the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit, this means you have to treat it with authority. It has authority in your life. So this is not simply their opinions or their experiences. They have spoken of what God has authoritatively revealed to them in the Old Testament. Secondly, this also lets us know what their writing was all about, what their aim was, or their ambition, or their purpose For writing, they wrote to point to Jesus. They were not simply writing a devotional guide for you. They were not writing a bunch of cool stories that one day they would, 
you know, be made into video series and teenagers would get together at 8.30 in the morning and like talk about principles from them for their life. They wrote the scriptures so that they would point to Jesus. That's what scripture was for. That's what their writings were all about. That, that means that's how we should read scripture. That's how we should study scripture, to see Jesus, to see them pointing to Jesus. In Luke 24, uh, Jesus gets raised from the dead. He um, appears before the disciples. And one of the first things he does, other than eat some broiled fish, is he teaches them how to understand the Old Testament and how it's pointing to him. He says, look, the writings of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, all of these are pointing to me. And he unfolds that to them. He's saying, if you want to read the Old Testament correctly, you need to understand that they intended to point to me. In John 5, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees. He, he says, you know the scriptures so well. You study the scriptures so much because you think that in them you have eternal life. And he's like, but you don't understand. Those, those scriptures point to me. If you understand those scriptures rightly, then you will see that they testify to me, to Jesus. So this tells us how we're supposed to understand specifically the Old Testament. We're supposed to see it as pointing to Jesus. Now, there's some complexity there, right? In the story with Samson today, we can have some really bad interpretations if we just start thinking, okay, Samson killed guys with donkey jawbones. That's how Jesus is. No, <laughs> no, not really, right? There's, we have to understand that we have to work a little bit to understand the story. But anyway, how can we summarize this passage tonight in terms of the context? Remember, the context is Peter is giving us reasons to praise God. He's giving us reasons that we should praise God. So we praise God because he has written us into his story through Jesus. Think about that. God has written you into his story through Jesus. The work of God, he has saw fit to include you in that. See, the Bible is a lot of things, uh, or it's been treated in a lot of different ways. It's been used as a political device to get political opinions um, pushed forward. It's been used as a devotional book it's been used as a science book. It's been used as a history book. And sometimes we mishandle the Bible when we treat it in a way it's not supposed to be treated. But the one thing that the Bible is that fully encompasses all of its complexity in the multiple genres, in the multiple language, and the span of centuries that it that was taken to use um, or to write it, is that it's a story. It's a unified story that climactically points to Jesus. That's what the Bible is. On the first page of the Bible, you see in the beginning creation. On the last page of the Bible, you see, and God made all things new. So the whole story of the Bible is going from creation to new creation. This is the movement of the story. This is God's work. That's his story. The story of God is that he's going to take creation that was corrupted by man's sin in the fall, and he's going to make it new. That is the full story of creation, and he's done this and accomplished this through Jesus. Jesus is the one that equips us to be made new. And this is God's story that he's brought you into. The story of God, 
to make creation new again has come to you in Jesus. That is something to praise God for. Now, there's some other practical applications I want to leave us with before we just kind of land there. So three applications. Number one, study the full story of God's gospel. Listen, guys, a lot of times we just hang out in the New Testament. For soaping, for example, on Wednesdays, we've been hanging out in the letters of Paul or James or whatnot. And it's sometimes easy just to take these statements that's like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. It's easy to kind of take that and study those things. But most of the Bible isn't like that. Most of the Bible is either um, poetry or story. And so we have to start understanding how God speaks and how God teaches and unfolds who he is and who Jesus is through the full story. So training yourself to study in a way where you're actually reading the whole story of God, where you can land in a book like Ruth, and you can start to understand how Ruth actually points to Jesus, right? This this will help you in treating the Bible in a way it wants to be treated if you start to study it in terms of the full story of God's good news, okay? So number two, I think I have this in the right order, yes, Number two, see and savor Jesus when you read Scripture. And we've talked about uh, what it means to savor at Fall Retreat. It's being like completely satisfied with something. Like we don't want you to simply like see, oh, that's cool. That ties into Jesus. Like, no, we want you to say, wow, that, this is testifying to Jesus. And that's completely satisfying. That is a source of encouragement and joy to your life. You don't want it to simply be like a textbook where you're reading about Jesus. You want to have an encounter with Jesus. The writer of John, 1 John, he talks about how he writes scripture so that you, as a reader, can experience Jesus in the same way he did. And he like walked and talked with Jesus. And so John says, by you reading the letter, by you reading scripture, you can actually have an encounter with Jesus in much the same way John did. And see, that's not an encounter of just like studying Jesus. We also want to find him satisfying. We want to say, yes, you are my greatest joy, Jesus, and be encouraged by that. So that's how, that's the the perspective and the attitude you should have when you go to read scripture. Third application from this passage, serve the future generations. One of the greatest things we see here is that we had centuries of people who saw that God was going to do something that they never got to see. And I just can't imagine really having that understanding and just being okay with that. But for, for some reason, God revealed to them that, no, I'm not going to send the Messiah in your time, and you're going to serve a future generation. And I think what's super significant about that is that we can learn how to serve future generations. The Old Testament prophets saw that they were part of God's story, but they were a part of it in serving the full salvation that would come in the future. They knew that they were serving us. So how will you serve future generations of Christians? How can you dedicate your life to serving future generations of Jesus' followers? In the most general sense, we do this by making disciples, 
by mentoring maybe younger students, by helping people progress in their faith, or just by simply pointing people to Jesus. And so this is kind of the closing thought that we have. As someone who has found their significance in the story of God, if that's you, as someone who has found your story in the story of God, seek for others to find their, their significance in the good news of Jesus. People are looking for their life's story to be significant. We all want our story to matter. We all want our life to matter. Go back to that final slide one more time, Wynton. We want this significance, right? We crave it. And yet, we cannot manufacture significance in our own life. We have to surrender to a story that's already been working. We have to surrender to a story that's cosmic, that is universal, that's being written by our creator. That's the story of the gospel. And he invites us to be a part of that story in and through Jesus. So the story of God is that he's making all things new. And he's doing that through Jesus. And he invites you to be made new. Your life can be the first act of resurrection into making you into someone who leads other people to experience resurrection. And this is our place in the story. It's so much bigger than you. And guys, that's good news. That's good news that there's a story that's bigger than you. And God's the one who's working in it. So you should let that humble you, that you're able to be included in that story. And also let it be motivation for you to let others be included in that story. I am less, I am old, I am healed, I am old, I am saved in Jesus' name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' 